My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you are listening to episode 92 of Cinepunk. Cinepunk! Yeah, what is the deal? Cinepunk! <laughs> yeah, that's how I sounded when I had my cold. It was horrible. Oh, that could have been cool, though. Yeah, yeah, it was the opposite of that. I sounded like if you played my record backwards, I'd be talking of, like the devil. That's what it sounds like. Satanic messages. Yeah, we were, wor- we were working very hard, y'all, to get an episode out uh, in January. Um, I mean, we're technically recording in January, but you're not going to get this in January. That's not going to happen. No, you're going to get um, it early February. Or early Feb- February. February. Uh, but uh, but you know, Josh, Josh got sick. We you know we're humans. We're we're much like you. We are bags of rotting flesh. Despite uh, what you may think, given your listening track of hearing us be superhuman, just uh, just godlike. <laughs> godlike. Yeah, that's what they uh, they're used to hearing us be divine. Yeah, well, divinely inspired at the very least. Yeah, that's fair. so yeah so i was i was man down i was uh in the trenches and i had all types of ill shit flown from my nose and so i had to bail on liam and i felt terrible doing it but you know what had to be did had to be did so here's the thing and i think people will understand this we're you know we we always say that we're busy and it's kind of uh hard to take seriously sometimes because that's a very easy excuse for everyone to come up with but the reality is like you know i now am on four freaking podcasts come on that's a lot but uh, i I can't i literally have no room to talk because i'm in that many bands yeah that's right so yeah and 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 one of your bands is doing very well and is playing a good amount of shows it seems like you're really starting to blow up with with your thing there with the crossing of the keys it would appear so i would like to thank wes anderson our patron saint for uh for giving me the inspirado to write these dope ass jams that people just kind of want to hear all of a sudden inspirado i feel like i feel like that hedwig scene where where she's like well you're listening now aren't you like that yeah 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 yeah. how did i become the internationally ignored rock star barely standing before you well a little running with tommy gnosis and you're listening now aren't you so uh yeah you've been sick i am you know for those of you listening to this on the east coast I guess actually it's broader than that. Everyone in the northern part of the United States now is in the grip of another polar. Is this the polar vortex? They're still calling this shit. I believe we're calling it the polar vortex. Y'all, it is not okay. It is literally like three degrees outside right now. Yo, it was twelve degrees at five o'clock today. Ugh. This shit is so cold. And here's the thing, guys. I'm a summer baby. Yeah, me too. Well, no, that's not true. I was born in November, but still. I love the heat. I'm a tropical individual by design. I'm an actual summer baby, but I I don't. I wasn't even thinking of it that way. I I was just thinking of it as in like, I need the summer baby. (laughs) (laughs) I need that summer vibe. I mean, I I was gonna say you're a real Hawaiian shirt type, but then I felt like maybe I was racially stereotyping you. Except that that's totally a correct assessment. Yeah, it is. It is. Because you know why? I looked dope in that shit. That's the why. 
that's why I wear Hawaiian shirts because I look fucking awesome in them, Johns. And, I gotta, uh, I, I gotta tell continue. you, I gotta tell you. The other day, I was subbing and I was wearing that, um, that sh- that shirt I have that you were like, oh, that's like a Filipino uncle shirt, and uh, <laughs> I was wearing it, and I swear to you, like three different uh, students who were definitely brown were like, oh hey, I like your shirt. There you go, man. Hey, I like, listen. Yeah. I, my suggestion would be to lean into the look, Liam. I mean, you know what, man? If God blessed you with the talent of looking like a Filipino uncle that I've always wanted, yeah, then I say wear that shit out, son. Holler yeah, I feel at that. Your boys, holler at your pinoys. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I will say though. Uh, I won't be getting. I don't really have money for more shirts right now, which right. is a perfect transition into. Hey, thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon. <laughs> uh, no, uh, this episode is brought to you, of course, by our very generous, very awesome supporters on Patreon. Uh, we really appreciate you. We got a couple new Johns recently, uh, and I forgot to write down your names, but thank you uh, nice. for supporting us. Uh, and also, you know, I, you know, Patre- the Patreon supporters are supporting us with their cash money, and, and I take that very seriously. I should also say thanks to folks who've been. We've gotten a couple more reviews on the old iTunes, so thanks to y'all for that. I, I I should be reading those. We should we should start doing that thing where we read them on here, but I'd have to like copy and paste them. So I haven't done it yet, but we'll do it, and then we'll read them on here and say thanks to people because I appreciate that. No, uh, seriously, people that have listened to us through uh, thick and thin. Even, uh, I mean, even if you're a new listener, we really appreciate the fact that you'll take the time out of your day to just hear us ramble on about dumbass movies and shit. That shit is awesome, and keep that shit up. Thank you so much. I mean, some of the movies are good, but the rambling is always dumbass. Yeah, word. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of our forte, though. You that's, know what true. I mean? that's true. That's <laughs> uh, our, true. Our, we, we, our official sponsor uh, this week, though, is uh, Lehigh valley apparel creations which i guess is true every week but you know uh if you want to get anything screen printed you're looking for shirts hoodies sacks undies i can't think of anything sacks saxophones oh my gosh chris Uh, you've been screen printing saxophones for us (laughs) that's uh, really nice of you man go to xlvacx.com and uh get get your stuff printed on uh i related note the other project we talked about it before, but I want to hype it up again. Uh, rough, rough cut uh, T-shirts is a project I'm doing with uh, Justin from uh, who does Haunt Love, and he's done a bunch of our designs. Um, we print all our stuff at LVAC because they're awesome. So uh, you should definitely get them to print things for you, and uh, you should go to Rough Cut Shirts. T-shirt well, is it rough cut shirts or rough cut t-shirts? Rough cut I think shirts. it's rough cut shirts. Yeah. Dot com and order some shirts. We've got an eight diagram pole fighter and we got a five element ninjas. Uh, check that out. We would love your support. And when you support that, you're also you know you're supporting me. So that's basically supporting Cinema. Yeah. Let me tell you something. That five elements ninjas t-shirt is so dope. I am buying one on payday, which one what will happen in a few days for me. Yeah. I, I cannot that. wait. I yeah, appreciate man. that. Hey, dude, I, I'm still waiting on my Evil Dead John and my Equinox John. Yeah, I mailed everything out except for you and John Wren. Sorry, guys. Totally fine. I imagine it's because I'm going to see you sooner than later. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and for John, he, so what happened was we have these promo posters, 
and uh, I need to get the posters. Ah, <laughs> uh, I see. Uh, I yeah, see. yeah, yeah. Yes. Oops. Still, roughcutshirts.com for all your uh, sweet shirt needs. Yeah. Or if what you need is uh, specifically a Tiger and Pole Fighter and uh, Five Elements Ninjas, which if you haven't seen those movies, they are truly wonderful. Uh, there's... There's also a few extras of the old shirts we put up. We only had made a few ah, extras, so yeah. check that out as well. Anyways, uh, yeah, so... Uh, hey, Liam, what time is it now? I think it's time... If I were to take a guess, I think it's time for our patented... Our, our one amazing thing that we've come up with with every episode. Yeah, it's, it's world-renowned. It's known as... Whack it on track. track. We did it. Oh, that yes. kind of works. It's so good. It's so good. So, Liam, what have you done recently that has been whack? And what have you done recently that has been on track? Well, um, I'll say uh, on track, it's not a lot. Um, I have not been able to, with the weather lately and just the way life has been, I haven't really gone to anything. I haven't been out to the movies really at all. Um, and that's always whack for me. I, 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 you know, whatever. But um, one of the things that I have been watching that is on track, I just finished um, Over the Garden Wall. So um, it's it's we just finished it tonight. So that's why it's on my mind. It's very limited. So it's not like you're buying in for like six seasons or something. But it has Elijah Wood, Melanie Linsky, Christopher Lloyd, uh, oh, John wow. Cleese, uh, Shirley Jones, Fred Stoller. Um, What's it about? So uh, there's actually not a lot I can say about it that wouldn't give it away. But it opens up with two brothers who are lost in the woods and it's not clear whether um, they're in modern times or in some sort of like fantastical past. Uh, when fantastical stuff happens around them, which starts to happen immediately, they're confused by it. So you kind of get the feeling that they're fish out of water, that maybe where they're from isn't a place where that sort of thing happens regularly. But stuff starts to happen immediately. And uh, it's kind of absurdist things just happen that don't get an explanation sometimes um and part of the reason that works is the uh elijah woods character is this uh teenager who's a little bit full of himself who's given to long kind of monologues about what's happening but then he's there uh his name is wirt and he's there with his uh uh his little brother and his little brother is just a little kid so Wirt will be talking about the darkness of the night and how painful life is, whatever. And then uh, his brother will just be like, I found a frog. <laughs> and it kind of it, it works comedically very, very well. So, yeah, I, I love that. Uh, recently was the um, season finale of Steven Universe. It was a, a hour-long episode, which is for them, that's basically like four episodes because they're usually like 11 minutes. And unbelievable unbelievable if you're a steven universe fan i hope you loved it as much as i did uh it has just so much going on there's so much layers you know the 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 whole thing with steven universe was um what if we had this 
adventure show but it was all from Steven's perspective. So the whole first season, it feels like nothing is happening, but that's because you're with Steven and Steven isn't old enough yet to go on the adventures. So he's always interacting with the gems when they get back from adventures. And then as time goes on, he starts to go with them and go with them until he's the focus. He's the reason that everything is happening. It's it, it totally shifts. And like, I wish I had almost, I wish I was younger so I could have grown up a little bit with Steven, you know what I mean? Kind of like kids who started yeah. reading Harry Potter when they were Harry Potter's age. This is, and then Harry Potter gets older as they get older. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is not quite exactly like that, like timing wise, but it's a little bit just in the sense of like Stephen becomes more mature and whatever on the show. And I don't know. It's hard because I think from a distance it seems so goofy and stupid that people are like, "Oh, you like Stephen Universe? It's so dumb." And it's not that at all. It's so next level. The storytelling is so next level. And you know, even the stuff going on with the villains and who they are and how Stephen relates to them and like his way of needing to always be open and always be a source of love instead of just like violence is like it's just amazing. So I don't know. I, I just really think the finale really worked in a lot of ways, and it really got to me. Um, so that was a big on track. Uh, so one of the things I also watched recently that was on track is uh, I watched that Fire Festival doc. Did you watch that? Oh, no, I didn't. I haven't seen either of them. Are oh, they good? I, so I only watched the Netflix one, and I hear that to get the full story, you need to watch both. Okay. Right. I accept that. That's fine. I'm sure that that's true. But I just couldn't imagine watching both that's like not a thing i could do i don't think um <laughs> wait why did you not enjoy the one no it's just like i got enough on the one why do i need i don't i don't want more <laughs> i am done i'm done with i'm done with fire festival you know what yeah. i mean like it's just hard for me to imagine like caring that much to watch another one but you know people say it so anyways for those of you who don't know uh fire festival was a big scam um i think it it would be easy to think of it as uh an event that didn't quite work out but i think in retrospect it's pretty clear that it was just a scam the whole time that it was never it was never going to be a real thing it was never actually happen. that is brutal it was just i mean maybe not maybe i'm wrong but just based upon this guy's the guy who ran it who's in jail now he he was under indictment or investigation, I think. I think he was out on bail. Yeah, when he was out on bail for the Fire Festival stuff, he ran another scheme where he sold tickets to things he didn't have. Wow. That just says to me, like, yo, my man is a is a criminal. Like he's always been just a, a serial like criminal. Yeah. And usually I, I, I kind of respect the hustle a little bit, but I don't know. This dude, I think what really what what I liked about the Netflix doc, which I understand is maybe less in the Hulu doc, but it's definitely part of the Netflix doc, is a focus on the fact like if you just think about the the kids who went, maybe you could be cynical about it like, "Oh, idiots, why would they go to this thing?" blah blah blah. Which I don't think is fair, but I can see why people do it. If you if if you think about the people in the Bahamas who like Yeah they were going to get paid. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. They were counting on this payday. Yeah. That is, it's a little harder than to be like, Oh, yo, fuck these rich people that bought these expensive tickets to see this bullshit show. Yeah. I, it's, yeah. It's, it's not, 
it's not a tragedy necessarily for the the those folks some of them but some of them i think it was i think it was really like not the end of the world but certainly a bad situation so bad financial um, situation for sure yeah definitely um so you know i it's it's i wouldn't say it's amazing but i very much enjoyed it uh so you know i i would recommend it uh fair enough Okay, so um, I watched a little movie called Bad Times at the El Royale. Oh, I didn't see it yet. Was it good? It's a bit of a mess. I think I'm going to have to put it as, as my whack. Oh. Uh, it, it is. So I think the premise of it is pretty good, and I, and I found it entertaining, but it kind of just doesn't go anywhere. It's like one of these, like, how are all these people connected? What's going on? I don't know. It's not quite Tarantino-esque, but it's definitely, uh, it felt very 90s to me and not in a way that I think is particularly charming. You know what I mean? Right, right, um, right, yeah. But I did also watch a, a movie called The Rider. Did you catch this? No, I did not. Highly recommend. It's one that a lot of yeah. people put on their end of year list. I think it, it was supposed to be released in 2017, but I, I don't know. I, I think most people saw it. 2018 i just saw it i i thought it was really great i love that the style of it which is very handheld kind of cinema verite kind of thing you know Um, what's it about uh it's basically a profile on like a character study on a, a rodeo kid who gets messed up and sort of how does he live his life now that he can't really ride anymore um it is one of those movies that is very compassionate, but very depressing at the same time. Whoa. Because it's hard. It's hard. He just can't do it. He can't. And, like, what does it mean for the people in that community and in that world who are part of that culture when they can't do the rodeo anymore? It's it's almost, like, scary. You know mm. what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. almost like a like a super dark thing in that way. But I don't know. I was tur- When it first started, I was super turned off because, ro- you know, uh, West rodeo culture is not exactly my vibe. No, uh, watching for sure. when it first started, I'm like, I don't give a fuck about any of these people, and it totally won me over. Even with even with all this masculine horsey stuff, it actually ends up being a very compassionate, very compelling narrative. Uh, that is really, and in some ways, also a a class narrative, a narrative about you know this kid can be a famous guy who rides horses or he can work part-time in a grocery store. You know what I mean? Uh, that like he has, yeah. it's almost like he has to risk his life to have a life. Um, yeah. It's, it's kind of dark, but I really liked it. Cool. The rider. Yeah. That's, right. that's about it for me. Like I said, I think bad times at the El Royale is my only major whack. Major whack. Damn. It's not huh. terrible. It's not terrible. But I, if you were like, Oh, I'm going to watch, that or the favorite or that or you know what i mean like yeah, i couldn't yeah, recommend yeah. it over a bunch of other movies that came out last year right got it duly noted liam duly noted <laughs> okay stop so for me whacking on track uh i have been very busy lately with a lot of my band projects so the problem is that um i haven't been able to watch too many movies but that said, I've done a lot of good things that I've really uh, been 
you know, breaking my back over these past couple weeks. Uh, one of the things is that Aspect Ratio has recorded our demo. Um, now, for those of you who don't know, I do a band with my friend Carly, and it's a duo called Aspect Ratio, and we only write and sing songs about movies and movie tropes and stuff like this. So, um, good friend of the show and uh, bandmate in my other band, Cross Keys, Dave Adolph, he uh, recorded us in his basement, and uh, I think it sounds really good, so it should be available hopefully sooner than later, um, aspectratio.bandcamp.com. Um I we wrote a song called Daisies and it's about the uh, Czech New Wave movie Daisies. <laughs> I think is really good. And then uh, we wrote a song called um, uh, it's called Davenport. And it's about uh, Don Davenport from the John Waters movie Female Trouble. So uh, the, oh, we also wrote a movie about Midnight Cowboy or Drugstore Cowboy that is called uh, Diane's Dead. And uh, that should also be in the thing, although I think we have to re-record that. But anyway, um, we have our first show coming up on March 30th with a fellow cinephile and uh, movie critic, Andrew uh, Elijah. Andrew Matthias Elijah. Or Elijah Mathias. I don't know what his full last name is. But anyway, his name is Andy. And uh, he's in a band called Baker Man. And uh, it'll be Aspect Ratio's third show. And we have this plan, see... And uh, I'll spoil it for you guys in case you uh, are tempted to come to Boot and Saddle on March 30th to see this thing in person. Um, so what it is is Carly and I are going to wear all white. And we're going to have a projection of the movies that are uh, that have inspired the songs that's going to play over us. Like going to be projected onto us and a screen that's going to be hanging behind us as we play the song. So I'm really uh, excited that this band has like... A vision and it has uh, an aesthetic that we're going to pitch towards, and I, I, I hope it's I hope it's something that people enjoy. So I know I enjoy it, but you know, uh, hopefully people enjoy what you do. So that's been on track. Um, also on track, Cross Keys have gotten a couple of high profile shows. We will be playing on um, March sixteenth in Brooklyn at a place called Gold Sounds with a, a band called After the Fall. From uh, uh, they're on Bridge Nine Records. They're from upstate New York, and then we're also playing with my friends in a band called Herjaza, which uh, features Frank Staplefeld, who you may remember from a band called Murdoch, and um, Sean, who's in that band, was in uh, Most Precious Blood. So it's gonna be uh, it's it's gonna be an interesting mix of bands, and that's gonna be really fun. I'm looking forward to playing in Brooklyn because we've never played there before. And then Strike Anywhere is playing the fall, or we're playing the following day with Strike Anywhere at the Neshaminy Creek Brewing Company in uh, Croydon, Pennsylvania. And it's going to be Strike Anywhere and Iron Sheik and After the Fall on Us. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Strike Anywhere is one of my favorite bands of all time. I've always loved those guys. And uh, to be able to play with them is like really, really cool. And so I'm really excited about that. And then we also just announced that Cross Keys is going to be playing Boot and Saddle on April 4th with Dave Hawes and the Mermaid. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Dave has been a friend of ours for a long time. Uh, since the Step Ahead days, if you remember that uh, particular time in Philadelphia Hardcore. And um, yeah, it's going to be really cool. So it's going to be a good show. Uh, all tickets will probably be linked in our comments section for this episode. So those have been really on track for me. I've been really uh, pushing towards that stuff and just new recordings for Cross Keys and a whole bunch of songwriting and all that stuff. So unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to watch any movies, but I've been doing a lot of music. 
Um, another thing that's on track that also is music related is last Tuesday, I was invited by um, Ryan Chitty, friend of the show, to go on his Bullying the Jukebox radio show, which I had done um, in the past with Cross Keys, but this time he invited me on as a solo artist. And uh, I played a couple songs, talked a lot of stories, and then I played a, a bunch of songs by myself on the radio, and it was nerve wracking. It was one of those experiences where it's like, oh my God, I don't believe I'm going to do this and it's going to live on the internet. I hope I don't mess up. And true to form, I messed up, but it was okay. Like, it was one of those things where people told me that the flubs made it more human. Which oh, I yeah, don't know totally. who cons- I don't know who considers my playing inhuman. Or like, oh Josh, he doesn't make mistakes. I make a lot of mistakes. But um it was a really fun conversation and it's really fun to hang out with Ryan for two hours and play my music on the radio and stuff. So uh we'll put the link for that, uh for the Mixcloud um of that on the comment section also for this episode so you can listen to it. If you were not tired of hearing me talk just yet. I tried to listen to it. I got about halfway <sighs> through and then when I closed, you fell right asleep. No, when I closed the Mixcloud app, it like didn't go back to the same spot. Like I had I, to close the yeah. app to use my phone, and then I opened the app back up, and it was back at the beginning. And I was yeah. like, "Ah, oh, come on, save my spot, <laughs> buddy." <laughs> but I thought you sounded good, man. Yeah, thanks, Liam. I felt like That's that. Pretty awesome. I felt like when you played uh, 108 for him, that that might have been the first time he had ever heard 108. He uh, mentioned that he had never seen them on a flyer or anything. And I was like, yeah, man, we played with them. It's a good show. Were you at that show, Liam, when, when Halo Snakes played with 108 and Vision at the Barbary and Leeway? <laughs> uh, I don't know. No, I think I only saw 108 um, at the church. Oh, man, that's awesome, too. I love 108. So I think good. I think that's the only time I, was, I you know I might have been I my issue there is less 108 and Vision and more um leeway cuz I feel like I've never seen leeway. Oh my god. Yeah, I that was like my first time seeing them and I saw them when they played this is hardcore but man, what a time. <laughs> that band's great. I love that band. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so that's it. That's what I got. My wackest is that I didn't watch any movies. I mean that sucks, but you are pretty busy, and it, it just means that now I can just put together a, a list of things that you need to watch before we record next or something. Also true. I mean, I did watch <laughs> I did watch two movies from the Canon Group. That's true. <laughs> which we will be discussing in a minute. Uh, the one thing that I thought was really funny as I was watching these movies is that in uh, a movie called Firewalker, which we will be discussing. Yes. The reason I picked it is because Louis Gossett Jr. is in it, and his name in the movie is Leo. And it made me think of the fact that my mom still thinks your name is Leo. Yeah, yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) So good, so good. That's probably the best part of that movie, unfortunately. (laughs) Which, we're about to get into that, though. We're about to get into it. All right, well, we'll, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about the uh, very important Canon Films group, We'll talk about these two movies, which maybe we loved, maybe we hated. Who knows? Guess you're going to have to come back and find out. Listen in. I also would like to say, oh, one last thing. There is another whack on my list. Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. The world mourned the loss of Mr. James Ingram. And he was 66 years old. And I read something that had been due to cancer. So I'd like to have a moment of respect and silence for the man who wrote some of the best R&B jams ever. Mr. James Ingram, rest in peace. I mean, if we're doing rest in peace, 
I got to bring up Dick Miller, who just passed away. Yeah, Dick Miller passed away today, right? Yeah. Jesus Christ. 90, though. 90 years old. So, hey. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rest but still, in peace. amazing, amazing. One of my favorite character actors of all time. Me too. Great. Great guy. Gremlins. Come on. Yeah, he's awesome. But, um, okay. So, after the break, Canon Films. Alright, welcome back. Here we are, episode 92. We're talking and about Canon Films. Yep, the topic today, Canon Films. Josh, what yes. is your relationship, your familiarity, your connection to the Canon Film Group? And let's be clear, we're talking about the Golden Globus era. I don't know if that's how I don't know if I said it right. But we're talking about the eighties Canon. You know, Canon was a thing in the seventies, uh, and it wasn't what most people mean when they say Canon Films. They're talking about when Golem Globus took over uh, and sort of made it uh, the the trash house of the 80s. Yeah. Well, the funny thing about it is that it started in 67. Right. And um, it transitioned in like 81 or something like that to uh, to when it was owned by the Golem Globus uh, people from uh, Israel or something like this. Pretty wild stuff. Got to say. Pretty wild. So, uh, did you grow up with these movies? Is this new for you? Tell, tell, tell me about your relationship to canon. My relationship to canon films is uh, kind of like in our previous episode where we talked about PM Entertainment. 
uh, I definitely got into like uh, the Jean Claude Van Damme cyborg, and uh, just like all those. They did the break in movies. They did like a bunch of movies that I definitely have like a strong standing relationship with because I love them so much. You know what I mean? Like they were the action movies uh, of of my youth that I just kind of was instantly attracted to and had to see all of them. So what were so so, so what were some of the ones you were stoked on as a kid? Again, Breakin' and Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo. Oh, my God. That was my first experience with Kraftwerk. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Man, that was so awesome. And then uh, I believe uh, they, again, the John claude Van Damme Cyborg was one of theirs, right? That shit was awesome, too, man. You remember that? Yeah, I kind of forgot about Cyborg, actually. Was that was that them? I don't even know if that was them. That was them. Cobra was them. Um Cobra. God damn, what a movie. Sylvester Stallone, Cobra, with uh, Brigitte Nielsen. Yeah. I mean, okay, so f- when I was a kid, I definitely remember Enter the Ninja, and, oh, we, yeah. and we covered Revenge of the Ninja. Uh, did we cover Ninja 3, The Domination? No. we. I don't think we did, but we talked about it. Yeah, it's I, I love that movie now, but that wasn't much when I was a kid. When I was a kid, let's see what else on this. I'm looking at the list now. Um, I guess... Yeah, Cobra, obviously, King Solomon's Mines. Oh, God, yeah. Um, that was, like, the first time that I was like, yo, I'm a good movie watcher now because I'm watching this scary-ass junk, and it's happening in my face, and I'm not leaving. <laughs> like, there's a scene in King Solomon's Mines that um, I'll never forget it, man. I watched that movie when I was at uh, Bad Michael's house for a sleepover, and Uncle sure. Rudy had Cinemax, you know? So before, like, the weird Andy Sedaris uh, movies with naked ladies was on, it was always movies like like that. And King Solomon's Minds was one of the movies. And uh, I don't know if uh, you know, listeners, as a child, I was definitely afraid of a lot of movies. And um, there's a very famous story, actually, of one of the times I was sleeping over Bad Michael's house. Bad Michael always had, like, these horror movies. Like, that's how I saw Nightmare on Elm Street. That's how I saw Friday the 13th. And one night... When me and my brother Anthony were sleeping over Bad Michael's house, we were watching Maximum Overdrive. And for some oh, we reason, we talked about this on here. Yeah, it scared the bullshit out of me. And at like 11 o'clock at night, when everyone was asleep, I walked home in my pajamas that had sheeps on them in the night. And I didn't even have a key to my parents' house because that's how young I was. And uh, I had to knock on the door and wake up my dad. And he got real upset because he was like, what are you doing here? How come you're, where's your brother? How come you're not at Uncle Rudy's house? And he got like real upset. And it was because I was fucking scared of maximum overdrive. But right. you know who wasn't scared for King Solomon's Mines? Joey. Josh was not afraid. I was about to say, that was a good story, but it has nothing to do with canon films whatsoever. But what yeah, does but... have to do with canon films is Life Force, which is a movie I've always oh, loved. Oh, man. Yeah, and, so good. And uh, the classic, the one that I saw in the theater, probably the only canon film I think I saw in the theater until I started going to like retro screenings, which was uh, Masters of the Universe. Oh, my God. I remember that movie. When that came out, I went so excited. And I... Honestly, I still kind of love that movie. I, I've been meaning to get the Blu-ray because I just I just think it's so much fun. It's one of my sort of uh, favorite memories of a film in the theater, honestly. Really? That's awesome. Masters of the Universe. Oh, my God. I haven't seen it since I saw it that first time, I don't think. Oh, it's it's bad, actually, but it's <laughs> it's great. Man. That's wild. Yeah, no, but it's funny, though. Looking over the list now, it's just funny how many movies I've seen of these. You know what I mean? Like, 
dude, Missing in Action and all those movies. Uh, Ten to Midnight starring Chuck Bronson. The Barbarians. We should do an episode on Barbarian films, by the way. Um, Invaders from Mars. And the funny thing is, I saw all these at Uncle Rudy's house. I saw all these with Bad Michael and my brother. I love that even as adults, you're still calling him Bad Michael. <laughs> I'm not so sure that he loves it, but it's definitely how he's listed in my phone as Bad Michael because yeah. that's his goddamn name. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. So, uh, so. so we decided to do two canon films now. Um, I picked a little movie called Runaway Train, uh, and I'm not going to lie, this was because of my uh, other podcast, one of my other podcasts, Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, which we've talked about before, and one of the things I've said on here, and I've said on there, is a big complaint about doing that show, is that they did all the good Eric Roberts movies before I joined the show. So, for the most part, I mean, we've done a few that were good, but for the most part, it's been trash Eric Roberts now for like three years. So, wow. So, uh, you know, when, when you said canon and I saw all that runaway train John on there, I was like, oh, we should do that. Plus, I, now this doesn't mean we're not going to do a specific Eric Roberts episode. I think we might do that at some point. Um, but uh, this actually helps because. You know, there are a few good Eric Roberts movies, so now this one's off the list. So when we have to choose, we could we could choose something else. But I also think it's it's funny, like it highlights something about canon, which is that occasionally they did movies that were critically acclaimed. You know, Eric Roberts was nominated for an Oscar for this movie. Uh and and that's not that's not what we associate we don't associate canon with Oscars, but but the reality is that Canon wanted to make money. And if they thought an artsy film idea was going to make them some moolah, they were willing to put some money into it. You know? Uh, and then you chose, what was the film that you chose? I chose a little movie called Firewalker. Uh huh. And the main reason I chose that, one, is because I'd never seen it. But two, is because of my man Lou Gossett Jr., who's in this movie. Yeah. And uh, I happen to love him in the Iron Eagle franchise with Mitch Gaylord. Yeah. <laughs> Where he plays Chappie, the uh, instructor. And uh, yeah, I was like, yo, give me some more Chappie. Let's do this. And here we are. <laughs> you are a crazy person. Yeah, but not really, because it's awesome. Okay, and, uh, so uh, do you want to go chronologically? Should we start with Runaway Train? Yeah, let's do it. So for those of you who haven't seen this film, uh, Runaway Train is uh, stars Eric Roberts and John Voight. Um now it's I gotta I gotta get the director's name right in front of me here because it's one of those. It is, yeah, Andre Konchalovsky. Konchalovsky, which uh, if that name sounds familiar, you may know him from such movies besides Runaway Train as Duet for One, Shy People, Tango and Cash. Oh man, another Tango film, wasn't and it? Cash. Yep. And Man, then, so good. and then years later, something we just covered on the fucking show. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. The Odyssey, the 1997 TV <laughs> uh, miniseries starring goddamn Armand Asante and also Eric Roberts. Amazing. Uh, I will. I will go ahead and spoil that ep- episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking man for you, and let you know, shit's bad. It's real bad. It's next level bad. <laughs> Maybe not next level, but I I do not like it. However, this movie, Runaway Train, is amazing. Now, the thing about uh, your man, Andre Konchalovsky, is that he's friends with another Andre, 
Tarkovsky. They worked together, yeah. and he was in. I think he was in some Tarkovsky films when he was younger. So they're he's sort of they're sort of like almost like protege. He's almost like his protege. I don't know how. I think Tarkovsky died before he put out Tango and Cash, though. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. I wonder what Tarkovsky's it. opinion on Tango and Cash is. <laughs> <laughs> so Runaway so Train uh, came out in 1985. Uh, two escaped convicts and a female railway worker find themselves trapped on a train with no brakes and nobody driving. Starring John Voight, <laughs> Eric Roberts, Rebecca De Mornay. Uh, Kyle T. Hefner, John P. Ryan, T.K. Carter. Man, so many people. Kenneth McMillan. Yeah, this it's is a- also, this is the first appearance of our man Danny Trejo. Oh, yes. Yeah. Did you pretty- did you jump when he saw, I was like, oh my gosh, Danny Trejo. Dude, did you look it up? Did you look up like his involvement in this movie? No. So Danny Trejo was on set because he was an N.A. sponsor for one of the other actors who, uh, the article didn't say who it was, but the casting director recognized him from being in jail with him or something crazy like that in Folsom Prison. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So he casted him, and that's that was the beginning of his career. That's, that's <coughs> crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Danny Trejo in here, and um, man, what a movie. I Here's the thing. I had never seen this movie. And I was just like, okay, here we go. Another romp, runaway train romp. I was thinking of the Chris Pine, Denzel Washington movie. You know what I mean? I was like, all right, let's just do this. And then as I was getting into it, I was like, yeah, this movie is like elegiacally beautiful. And it's shot on location in Alaska. And uh, even though it's shot in color, the, the landscape and the way that they shot it was so like barren that it looks black and white in scenes. It is such an awesome movie. Mm-hmm. Did you love this movie? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of went in knowing just from what people had said that it was pretty amazing. And, you know, it, it got my man a Oscar uh, nomination. Man, he didn't win it, but he got the, he got the nom for that. So I knew it was going to be pretty solid. Uh, the script is a, originally a uh, Kurosawa, Kurosawa script. script so yeah. that's pretty cool. Um, and Did you know that going in? Did you know that Kurosawa no, no, had something? No, no, no. Found yeah, me happens. neither. And that was the thing. Like I was watching it, and I was like, "Man, this is like brilliantly told story." And then when I did the research on it, I was like, "I didn't realize it was based on the screenplay by Kira Kurosawa, Akira Kurosawa." And I was like, "Yo, that shit is wild! What a crazy little movie to have made by the Canon Films." Well, and so it is definitely. I mean, it's an action. It's an actiony film, but what it is too, it is surprisingly very much like a prison film at first like that sort of the kind of prison film where you're supposed to identify with but also be repulsed by the the criminals who are in prison right right like you know you they're not they're they're not like uh the green mile they're not like secretly you know benevolent yeah like no yeah no, they're actual criminals, like bad people. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, uh, both Eric Roberts and, and Voight's characters, they, they kind of represent this desire to be free, to be not trapped, to be sort of like able to live your life. I think people can identify with that even if as characters they're not. I mean, Voight's character he he kind of works out. He kind of has a certain dignity, but he's clearly a monster. He's a bad yeah, dude. Yeah, he's like clearly not a good dude. Yeah. What, what, Eric Roberts, man, Eric Roberts' Texan accent in this movie mm-hmm. is wild, bro. Mm-hmm. It is, he sounds like a maniac. 
And uh, it was mildly distracting at first. But uh, by the time I got to like halfway through, I was like, oh, okay, this is just what it is. Just strap in, you know? Well, this is a this is sort of a thing, right? Like you 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 if people don't know, Josh guested on an episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Probably my favorite episode that we've done, having <laughs> Josh on. Uh, but you you know, you sort of talked about how your familiarity with Eric Roberts is mostly the tough guy shit. You're you're the best you know, of the best. So let's be honest, let's pinpoint the one movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> best of the best. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah but but sure. that's a that's a character he continued to play through the nineties. Right, was this right. Eric Roberts, action star. <laughs> um, and that might have even started to a small extent here with Runaway Train because it does have an action, quote-unquote, feel. And he does box in it and whatever. But it's still more of a prestige kind of art film in a way, too. Uh, yeah. By the time you get to Best of the Best, you're not getting as much squirrely Eric Roberts. Whereas no. that was his whole vibe. His whole vibe at the beginning of his career was this squirrely kind of like slimy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with Eric Roberts, you know, this performance is not star 80. It's not quite like total scumbag. Uh, but it definitely is like a guy who... You know, when when Voight is annoyed with him, it's not a giveaway immediately that Voight's character is an asshole because he's actually annoying. Like, he's a, yeah. as much as he idolizes that guy, he's actually annoying. What did you think of Voight's performance as our sort of, I, I don't he's not a hero. He's just the protagonist. But what did you think of his Dude, performance? His performance was truly nuanced. You could tell that he did a lot of work in trying to understand the mind of an inmate on the verge of breaking free and being free. And uh, it's very, uh, it's a diabolical turn for sure. But uh, it's also like purely driven in a way that uh, it didn't even seem like he was acting. It just seemed like he was just that person, which I know like that's what you want, right? Like that's what good actors do. But man, his eye and his teeth all look like crazy. He's got the handlebar mustache and just the way that he interacts with Eric Roberts. It's like, half mentor and half menace and i thought he was so awesome honestly i think he's the best thing about this movie i mean and, uh, he definitely did a lot of work to change his appearance because he felt like he just as a person was like, almost like too soft for this character so he oh, kind of went out of his way to like change what he looked like and kind of make it more like believable that he could be this but but i think it's not just I mean, I think the tricks, you know, like having fake teeth or kind of flaring his nose out and, and stuff like that, like that stuff kind of helps a little bit. But it really is just the gruffness of his performance and, and some of the some of the crazy speeches he gives where he's just yelling at Eric Roberts are so intense. Oh, dude, it's so good, though. And I loved it. I loved every moment that he was on screen. For so, sure. So the movie opens with, I mean, first of all, let's just say that. Our premise is definitely almost like an exploitation film premise because we open on a fucking uh, federal prison in Alaska, and I can't help but be like, "Who's at, who is in this prison? Why are they in this prison in Alaska? Is this like, are we meant to believe that these are normal criminals from other parts of the country who just got sent to Alaska because it sucks there? Is that what we're saying, or is it that?" They did crime in Alaska because how much crime is actually happening in Alaska? I don't yeah. know. And how many Texans are in Alaska? That's my other right. question. I just I, that that whole aspect was weird. So we open up with it's a bad prison. 
The Warden's clearly a monster. And he's had John Voight's character in solitary for like three years. Yeah, and, it, and there's like a, there's like a news report that's like they're being ordered to unweld him or whatever, right? What was the word that they used? Yeah, he was welded into a cell in solitary. That Lord. you could never. That doesn't happen. Come on. Yeah, please. I, don't I mean, think so. I get it. It's Alaska. The shit's different over there. But come on now, you're not welding no person into no room, and like leave them there. Like, oh, that's just where they are, welded. So I mean, what? You know, what if he gets a clogged toilet? How are you gonna how are you gonna get in there with the with the door welded? And the worst is that when we meet John Voight, he's just doing push-ups. I mean, yeah, prison, but I don't know. It just it's pretty funny. Pretty funny. Okay, go on. Well, I think no, no, no. I think you you bring up a good point, which is like it's hard to know what to make of him at first. On one hand, I wanna be sympathetic to him because he's been in solitary for three years. Like literally welded into a cell for three years. Uh, and it's Just hard not think to think about that welded into a yeah. cell. What and the fuck? And it's hard not to admire him a little bit because all the prisoners do. All the prisoners as soon as they hear about it, they're all like, Wah! they think he's like the <laughs> fucking best. But yeah, Im- it's true. But immediately we get sort of a mixed bag. He's definitely a bit of a monster, but he also has a sense of like pride and he lacks fear. There's a scene. So, so he gets let out. He reconnects with um, his friend and mm. his, his friend is sort of not quite mentoring, but is in a relationship of some kind, kind of like a mentor relationship with Eric Roberts. And there's this great scene where Eric, there's a boxing match and Eric Roberts is fighting somebody. And uh, the warden has, uh, gotten one of the other prisoners to try to kill our man John Voight. Yeah, and John the Warden John Voight takes the hit. Then he beats the dude up, and then he just starts yelling, "You gonna shoot me, Warden? Just shoot me now! <laughs> you gonna shoot me, Warden?" Yeah, wow, That's it's brutal, man. Oh, and it, it's it's that sort of sets the tone for the film, which is like that Voight is. He's not noble. He's not um, sympathetic or charming in the obvious way, but there's a kind of pride about him. And something about that is maybe inspiring. I don't know. I don't know what to make of that part of the movie. Yeah, that the whole it feels like just the first part and the second part are completely like just different tones. You know what I mean? Like that first half when he's in the jail and all that stuff. It's a lot of the movie. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things when I was watching, I was like, when does the train stuff happen? And then the train stuff happens. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is like the sec- part two. You know what I mean? Like, that's how it felt to me anyway when I was watching it. I mean, you could have so, done this whole movie, the whole premise of this movie, the first or the second part, rather, without the, the convict part. And I, But I guess it was inspired by true events or realish events i don't know not it well, also i mean one of the screenwriters for this movie is eddie bunker who sure. uh, you remember from he wrote the screenplay and acted in reservoir dogs yeah and uh he was like an actual ex-con right like he used to be in jail and all that yeah. stuff so like I, I guess that's where like the gritty realism from that first half of the movie comes from from like act one and uh i, I guess i don't know it kind of has that eddie bunker feel to it if you compare it to a movie like Reservoir Dogs, you know what I mean? Like there is a element of grit in there, and it just feels authentic. Would you say, Liam, or no? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, it, it is certainly. I guess that's w- w- what's interesting to me about this whole thing is that, um, 
this still feels kind of like an exploitation movie to me. It's yeah. definitely got um, the cinematography is different. Like I think the director really brings something to that aspect of the film um, and to how some of the setup goes, but it's still at its heart kind of an exploitation movie. It just has something else going on. And and what I think the reason I bring that up is Canon does make at certain points art films. Like it's not outside of their realm to try to dip their finger into some artsy stuff. I would even argue uh, company of wolves, which is a, a movie we covered on horror business recently. Uh, that's a Canon film that's supposed to be a horror movie, but is it, a, is it, it's not the sort of horror movie Canon has done in the past. It's definitely more like a, like an artistic kind of like a, you know, uh, highfalutin film. Um, <laughs> Runaway Train is not that. It has amazing performances. I think it's it's directed very sharply and and very intentionally. But uh, is it an art film? I don't know. I, I all I know is that it's certainly got that kind of attention as well. And the director comes from that kind of world, so I'm almost kind of surprised that he's able to maintain the level of tension and uh intensity that he is i mean the the film the train part of the film so so it 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 would also be possible for it to be like well there's all this prison escape stuff which is obviously intense then they get on the train and then the train stuff is whatever but the train stuff is pretty exciting i think well here's the thing about the train stuff it reminded me of a movie called lifeboat by alfred hitchcock which all takes place in like the one boat and uh, you have such limited scenery for the train stuff, and yet it still feels like a spacious movie. Like, you get the notion of claustrophobia, and you get the fact that, like, they're all, like, careening towards certain doom. But it's shot in such a way that it feels as though a whole uh, dramatic thing can play out on the scene, which it does. And uh, I thought that, like, that was one of the more striking things about Act 2 of this movie for me that it it was shot in such a way that the train felt both spacious and claustrophobic at the same time. I agree. And I think that um, the pacing of it is part of that, that once they get on the train, they even, you know, it, it becomes two movies because for their experience on the train, most of their experience on the train, it is a character piece. They're relating to each other. They're getting yeah. to know each other a little bit, which is mostly intense and awkward and it's not like a character piece like oh tell me about your childhood it's like yeah, it's not like it's not like Truffaut's 400 blows you know what i mean but at the same it's... time <laughs> like that that's going on we get the people outside the train who are trying to stop what they think is a completely unmanned train and yeah and, and weighing that out and then when they figure out that there is uh i guess so there you know every sort of and you know train would have the main engineer and then a backup person and uh, the the way the so i guess we didn't really talk too much about what actually happens but yes yeah, so what, what they, happens is the train is going and eric roberts and john voigt have escaped from jail and then they get on the train and as they get on the conductor has like a heart attack and fucking dies and falls off the train as the train is taking off and so now you have two convicts on a train two escape convicts on a train with no driver, and that's how that happens. And there's a <laughs> there's a backup person, but she's been asleep, so she yeah. suddenly wakes up and realizes what's happening, and then discovers that they're there, 
and they can't figure out a way to stop the train because um, they are not in the it's, it's not so it's not a traditional it's not like a train that was going anywhere it was a bunch of no. engines that were being moved yeah. to another location so they're just in another engine and uh, they can't get to the front engine they can't get to the lead engine which is driving the whole thing yeah so Rebecca De Mornay though she like wakes up and is suddenly in this movie it was at first I was like man that's kind of like when so the first cutaway from the train scene when when you realize that they're on the train and before Rebecca De Mornay shows up they cut to the scene of the controllers with T.K. Carter and uh, with John Ryan and all those other characters or no not not John Ryan uh, Kyle Hefner who's playing Frank and like they're all like pe- freaking out because they think this unmanned train is now going to careen into like other trains and all this stuff and they're trying to switch tracks and it's frozen and everything and uh i remember the secretary's in there and i was like is that rebecca de mornay because i knew she was in the movie right but then she she pops up after that and it's like oh wait a minute she's on the train and uh it definitely blew my mind i was like oh yeah okay let's just introduce this character now this way but it, it still didn't feel weird to me you know what i mean like it wasn't like so ridiculous or anything I guess it's, it was feasible that someone could have been working just as, like, taking a nap and then woke up in the midst of a crisis with two convicts. Yeah, I mean, she certainly adds a bit more humanity to that section because I think without her, it's hard to care. When things start to go wrong, it, it has less weight because their lives are already kind of forfeit, right? Like, at least John Voight yeah. is ready to die. Maybe Eric Roberts didn't quite realize the situation he was getting himself into. But, you know, it's different to have a completely innocent person there who you're yeah. not sure about. Um, it's also crazy to think about my second, yeah, my second favorite character is really this warden character. So oh, so man. so He's so evil. You have the escape and then the runaway train itself which sort of takes over the plot wise uh, uh or takes over the plot. But um and a layer onto that is that the warden still wants to catch them. In fact, he assaults one of the people working in the main hub trying to fix this situation because he just wants to know are there people on the train because he just suspects that's where that's where the convicts are. They're on the train. <laughs> and, you know, he goes to such a ridiculous amount. Um, in fact, I would say the, the, the movie itself is even with the crap, you know, they crash into a caboose. They smash through a couple things here and there and whatever. Yeah. It's still all very understated until we get to the climax where uh, first a guy tries to jump from the helicopter onto the train and just dies. It's crazy. Yeah, he just smashes the windshield and dies. And then John Voigt jumps, tries to jump across to the other engine and just smushes up his hand real good. <laughs> the only real blood in the film, like like gore in the film, is his hand it's getting his smushed. Hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the the warden gets out on the thing to try to kill him? Come on. Dude, the warden's like hanging out of a helicopter on a ladder. Every aspect of that climax shouldn't work, but actually the buildup towards it is so um, not over the top, like is so kind of uh, not understated because it's it's definitely there's a lot of scene chewing going on, like with with John Voight and Eric Roberts like going at each other a little bit. But yeah. uh, but even with all that, it's still a slow buildup to that climax that when it finally happens, I'm just kind of like, 
yeah. Like, John Voight could have broken off that engine with his bare hands. And I would have been like, yeah, of course he is. (laughs) John Voight is the hardest man ever. Yeah. But, But dude, when, okay, the climax, yes, I agree. It's like, it's it's unlikely. And when you get there, you're like, okay, we're doing this and I'm fucking in, right? But the thing is that the final scene, John Voight standing on the train with the warden handcuffed inside. Oh, my God. Beautiful. Someone has to have that tattooed on them, right? Like, if you are a true ass outlaw, if you're a true, like, anti-authoritarian, fuck what anyone thinks, is there a more glorious image than convict John Voight riding that train with the warden inside, knowing he's going to die, but so is that warden? Yeah, that he got him, dude. Got him. It's like... You're just minutes away from oblivion. What does he do? He's laughing as he's standing on top of the train, careening towards certain death with his enemy in the, in the front, handcuffed. Oh, my God. It is such a brilliant payoff. And the thing is, you don't see the train crash, right? You don't see him die or anything. You just see it going off and then credits. And it is so fulfilling to me, despite not seeing like a final end. Oh, yeah. I think they didn't need... I think it's... Ending on that is the best way to do it because we all know what it's suggesting and where it's going. And it's such a much more emotionally satisfying image to end on than, like, the train. I think if you end with the train crashing, that almost suggests something else, like like not victory. Like, oh, this might feel like victory, but here's the reality, the, the yeah, smash yeah, of train. Yeah, yeah. Ending on the image of him on top of the train is like, he's fucking Johnny Appleseed up there. Yeah, you he's know? fucking free up he's there. Paul, you know what I mean? He's like, Paul Bunyan, you know? Like, dude, he's doing his so thing. so brutal. And the thing about the warden is when he goes and freaks out on the guys in the control center, just find out if they're on the train. He administers my high school nightmare of the whirly where this dude that he is like the train, like conductor guy from the booth is pee. He's like, I got to pee. And he's peeing. And mid piss, the warden kicks the door to the stall and then puts the man's face in the toilet. Oh, my God. I remember hearing about that in high school. being Like my dad's like, you know, it's called the whirly. And bullies will do that. They'll put your face in your pee-pee. And I was like, holy shit, Dad. Like, that's not real, is it? And my dad is like, I have taught in high school for 20 years. It is real. And I was like, holy shit, that shit is real. So, like, you know. I love the idea that your dad is telling you fucking horror stories about (laughs) high school. Like, Joey, when you go to the high school, they will give you the wedgie. (laughs) Dude, my dad used to tell me. I mean, he always used to do stuff like that to be like, you know, if you're being bullied, they'll put your face in the pee-pee. Well, you're pee-peeing. They call it the whirly. I was like, no shit, Dad, that's a thing. And you know what else? They do drugs. Like, oh, no, drugs, Dad? Like, people like my age? And he's like, yeah, I've been trained to smell drugs. I know. They're in the high schools. It's like, holy shit, drugs and the whirly. Like, I ain't doing none of that shit. Going straight edge, baby. That's what's happening to me. Oh, my um, gosh. When I saw it in this movie, though, I had such a visceral reaction. I think I might have yelled, oh, my God, the whirly. <laughs> so bad. I felt so bad for my man. And then and then the warden's talking to him, right? And he's all, like, smiling and gives him napkin to wipe the piss out of his eye. Yeah. Yo, that guy fucking sucks. Well, I think it sort of, um, you know... The, the warden is a bully. That it, yeah. the, war, the warden's case he probably is, does drugs too. Oh my god! The warden's case that he's making at the beginning of the movie is that he can do anything to these people because they're animals, they're monsters. And yeah, um, at first that seems almost true, right? Because uh, a 
John Voight, you know, when when the warden goes sends the dude to kill him, John Voight brutalizes that guy and then starts, you know, a near riot. And yeah. B, as soon as he's let out of solitary, he tries to escape. So like all that could seem like confirmation maybe of the warden. Oh, look, the warden's right the whole time. But the way the warden acts in the rest of the movie lets us know that actually John Voight's escape is all we can expect him to do. Like what's he supposed yeah. to do? choose death like choose yeah, it's like it's like justified when you realize what a dick the warden is yeah i mean I, I think this is something i like when movies do this this thing where um we're asked to really think about what it would mean for someone to have to make that kind of desperate choice you know yeah, for, yeah, yeah you know yeah. and and again John, neither John Voight nor Eric Roberts is a hero in this movie, really. I think they both make decisions that are good and decisions that are bad. But I think the movie goes out of its way to be like, oh, no, John Voight is, you know, his character is probably a monster. Like, he's not yeah. a good person. But what else is he supposed to do? Just just lay down and live in a hole for three years or let the warden send one of his, I mean, any one of those, this is what's scary about prison, right? Any one of those guards can kill him and who's going to investigate. Like when's the last time you heard about, you you so rarely hear about a prison guard getting in trouble for anything, let alone just killing an inmate. Like right, right, right. Any, at any time he could just die. So of course he's going to escape. Of course he's going to try to go over the wall. He's got to do his thing, man. And I don't judge him for it. What I, in fact, we sort of skipped over it, but one of my favorite parts is when he gets in the sewer with Eric Roberts. Oh yeah. And they grease up to go through they, the pipe they, and all that. They grease up to crawl through Whoa. the sewer. And my favorite so part brutal. of that is how unable Eric Roberts is to do this hard thing. Like clearly John Voight has really thought about this. Like, you know, a uh, mile upon mile of human shit. That's worth it. I got to get out yeah, of here. He's like, yeah, I'm doing this. Yeah. This is what's happening. Eric yeah. Roberts is like, oh, but it smells bad down here. <laughs> <laughs> it seems so good, though. It's such like, and he uses the car jack to bend the bars. And oh, all. yeah. It's like, oh, yo, yeah. that shit is fucking brilliant, man. Oh, yeah. Genius. It's something yeah. he's clearly been thinking about for a little bit. This movie is so good. From front to back, I was shocked that I enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, I'm re- I'm really glad Rebecca DeMornay is in it, and I, I'm really glad she's in it as much as she is. It's a very male film up until that point. There's almost not quite no women, but yeah, I think there's almost no women, right? Except for it's Rebecca It's just DeMornay. the secretary. No, the yeah. secretary. Yeah, the secretary, and I think that's it. And the secretary yeah. is not even really in the movie. She's there yeah, to she's be kind like of a, a space holder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Rebecca De Mornay, like, uh, it's not the biggest role, but it's a role. Like, she's a human, you know, she exists. Well, I mean, she ups the stakes, right? Because she's the innocent that's on a train headed towards certain death. So, like, she ups the stakes of, like, maybe I just don't want this train to crash. Whereas before then, you're like, well, if it crashes, even right. though we're rooting for these guys, they're antiheroes, right? So, if it crashes, and yeah. But adding her into the mix, like you said, it it raises humanity and it ups the stakes of what's at play. So, but I could pretty see, masterful. I, I, I could see someone feeling like this movie is just a little too. It's a very masculine film, even with her presence and what she brings to this to the story. It's really about these two dudes, and they're and they're very much dudes. They're very much. Yeah. It's a it, it's about this masculine relationship that they have with each other, and about them 
feeling like they need to prove, you know, Eric Roberts has to prove something to him. And yeah, to, to John Voight, yeah. So and, th- that might not be everybody's vibe, but but if that is your vibe, I just think this is just so well put together and it's so entertaining the whole time while not being mindless. It, like, made me think while I was watching it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's uh, It's definitely one of my favorite action movies that we've watched since starting Cinepunks, for sure. And again, maybe it's not fair to call it an action movie. Maybe it's maybe know. it's more different than that. But for what it is, and from given its pedigree of being a canon film, I think it was meant to be an action movie that just happened to slip into the area of something more potent than that. It's not quite art exploitation, but uh, no, it's not far from that. It's definitely a higher level of that, and that that's no disrespect to action movies. You know, we just covered two very well one very fun and one almost fun <laughs> action movie like we love action movies but you know runaway train is on this whole other level and i and I'm, i i just you know i get i i knew it was going to be good people always talk about it being one of their favorite eric roberts movies but i'm glad i finally got to watch it and was and realize just what is there and it made me respect eric uh roberts a lot more uh but also canon that you know uh it's easy to just think of Canon as Invasion USA, which mm. I love Invasion USA, but holy shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Come on. Yeah. You love it because you saw it as a kid. Uh, no, didn't <laughs> see it till I was an adult. Still love oh, it. wow. Okay. Still love Never it. Never mind. Never mind. I mean, it's bad, but it's it's very fun. Uh, well, um, you know, I'm glad we watched this. I think everyone, if you haven't seen Runaway Train, you should definitely watch it. But speaking of uh, the question of is it bad but also fun, we have our next movie. <laughs> Which I don't know if I had any fun watching it. I'm going to be oh, honest with you. No. no, that's not true. It was it was fun, but it was fun because the entire time I was watching it, I was like, is this like a shtick? Is this like a comedy? Like, is it supposed to be the way it's such a it's a brutal. OK, so the other movie that we watched, listeners was a little movie called Firewalker, starring Mr. Charles Norris and my favorite, Louis Gossett Jr. from the uh, Iron Eagle franchise. Also, Melody Anderson and Will Sampson. Right, 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 right. But, I mean, like, okay. So, this movie is about these two friends that are gold hunters. Is that right? Like, that's kind of what they're, they're... They're looking for gold. Yeah, treasure hunters. Treasure hunters. And, uh... The what was the young lady's name? Uh, Melanie uh, Melody Anderson playing uh, Patricia Goodwin. She's like this chastened uh, blonde-haired young lady, and she has a map to some treasure, and she hires uh, Chuck Norris and Lou Gossett Jr. to help her get this treasure. So they go on this adventure. It's like they never saw Indiana Jones. It is a brutal movie. No, I think you've just said the exact wrong thing, my friend. Oh, did I? Well, what was the wrong thing that I said? Uh, it's like they never saw Indiana Jones. No, 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 no. It's like they <laughs> saw Indiana Jones. In fact, this is an entire genre of film of which Canon made at least four called I Want an Indiana Jones. Right, right. And, right. And this includes actually King Solomon's Mines. Oh, yes. Which is... Also directed by the same guy who directed this movie, Mr. J. Lee Thompson. Oh, did J. Lee Thompson do King Solomon's Minds as well? 
Yeah, and he also did Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, and he did... No, no, uh, no, 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 no. Guns of Navarone. He did not do Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Yes, he did. He directed Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, no. 1972. No, 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 no. Really? J. Lee Thompson, director. Yeah. Uh Oh, Jesus. I, so I was scrolling through his IMDb, and I saw that he did, in 1973, Battle for the Planet of the Apes, which is the worst Planet of the Apes film. So I was ready to write him off as a monster. But clearly, I was wrong, because then the year before, he did Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, which is my favorite Planet of the Apes movie. That's not true. It's my second favorite. But uh, So this guy's got a real mixed bag, because now as I'm going further back in his career he's been directing he was directing maybe he's dead now but he's directing movies since 1950 he did uh guns of navarone dude yeah well and also um blonde sinner uh tiger bay northwest frontier cape fear little movie called cape fear you may have heard of (laughs) um well kings of the sun yeah so a lot of stuff um and then, you know, he did Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. I love Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, uh, there you go. Let's see. Later on, we're looking St. Ives, White Buffalo, The Passage, uh, 10 to Midnight. So, have you ever seen 10 to Midnight? No. Good? But Charles, It's a Charles Bronson movie. I think it's fun. It's not great, but it's fun. Yeah. Ooh, he also did The Evil That Men Do. I guess he was into Bronson for a little bit here. Um the thing about him doing that, though, uh, and also doing Death Wish 4, the crackdown, <laughs> the crackdown. Uh, makes me feel like maybe our man um, is a little bit racist. And here's the problem with Firewalker. It is wildly racist in the way that the 80s were wildly racist. For sure. This is beyond that. This is yeah. next fucking level. It's pretty so, brutal. Okay. For sure. Okay, so let's let's back this whole thing up. Firewalker is an Indiana Jones clone. And what it can't get right that all the Indiana Jones clones had trouble getting right is that um, Indiana Jones, uh, at least the first one, is made by people who really both understand what pulp is. Like, they understand what those serial films are. Like, they're, 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 it's a real tribute to those movies. Yeah. This movie is nothing like that. No. It is literally like, hey, I've got a couple mil, and I saw this movie called Indiana Jones. Let's try to make a thing. Uh, <laughs> and it's a real bummer to me because, you know, as we've sort of said, J. Lee Thompson made some, what I think of as really great movies. Um, now, he gets at least one thing right. If you're going to rip off Indiana Jones, might as well have John Reese Davies in it. Why not? Yeah, no. Let's let's I just mean, like, get an Indiana Jones dude, guy. But yeah, no. Vo- it's like Salas in here, and also uh, what's his name um, from Predator? What's that guy's name? Uh, shit, it's on the tip of my tongue right now. Oh, uh, Sonny Sonny Landum. Sonny Landum's in this, and then the guy he from, plays uh, the he plays the villain. Yeah, Sonny Landum plays a native like a like a Aztec dude. I don't know, man. It's one of those things where it's just like a they they just threw all these things into a blender. And then you added Louis Gossett Jr. as like Chuck Norris's uh, sidekick dude, comedic foil. I don't know. So I think the movie intends for them to be equals, that they're like uh, two people who are good friends, but they're always at it's like an odd. It's supposed to be like an odd couple situation. The problem is that our man, Louis Gossett Jr., 
is definitely not given that role for real. He is no. just Chuck Norris's helper. And it's yeah. it's a, a real bummer. And I think in a movie that didn't have so much Native American stereotype bullshit, it wouldn't, oh, yeah. it wouldn't bother me. But the fact that this whole movie is about magical white man and the way that he seduces a uh, hot white lady and his, you know, step and fetch it buddy, it's like <laughs> that, that just... Bum me the whole thing. Was yeah, bummed. no. And you got the Indian from Poltergeist Two in there. Well, I already what? said his name. He was one of the stars that I uh, highlighted because he's pretty well known. My man, my man did a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah, what's his name? What's his name? Don't Will look at your Sampson. phone. What's his name? Will Sampson. I already said that at the beginning. Uh, uh, hello, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. You can't, you can't spit at that. No, let no, alone no, you can't, the you outlaw can't. Josie Wales, uh, <laughs> white buffalo. Um, man, that's about it though. Look at this. Wow, this is real bad. No, there's some good stuff in here. Actually, insignificance is actually not so bad. The Mystic Warrior, though. Oof. Ugh. Oof. Man, Ugh. that guy was on a tip for sure. But I mean, like, I don't know. Like, this was in what '86. I mean, no, no, no. People, no, no. I don't care about that. I, I'm not saying it's not racist because it happened in '86. I'm just saying it's like, man, people were in love with some Indian folks. With some Native American folks back in the eighties, huh? It was like it was like you had equal furies in uh the uh the canon films fodder of like, oh, here are spiritual Native Americans and ninjas. Like those are like the two things Yo, that they true. loved. But but I will say at least the ninja movies had show Kasugi there, sort of like giving oh, them whatever. Kasugi. I don't think our uh you know, God bless any Native American indigenous folks who got money working for this movie, like fine, whatever. But the movie itself, I mean, first of all, the whole entire idea that there's this midpoint between the Aztecs and the Mayans (laughs) where their two cultures combined, that in and of itself were like, then they find out about all this by going to see an Apache dude up in the, so the the temple where they're trying to get the gold is in Central America, but they get info about this thing by going to see an Apache storyteller up in America. Yeah, not related in any way, shape, or form. Then there's no, all kinds of not. magical stuff. There's yeah, all kinds there's of like a, natives. There's a scene where where Chuck Norris is visited by a lady who is like she oh, poisons oh. him. Oh my god! And in, she's... Indigenous folks with knives. That is what it is. And yeah. There's always going to be an indigenous person in whatever scenario you're in where they're jumping out of the dark with a knife. And then Chuck Norris is doing karate. There was like a moment where I was like, "Yo, is Chuck Norris going to do karate?" And then I was like. Oh yeah, Chuck Norris is doing karate, and he's like beating people up in a bar, just kicking people through tables and all this stuff. Man, this is a brutal flick, man. This is a brutal flick. But and the funny thing is, so this isn't one of those like military Chuck Norris movies, nor is it like a karate Chuck Norris movie. It's like a Chuck Norris movie where he is to act. And man, let me tell you, a lot of the movie he spent like hitting on the girl that's with them. And it is creepy. It is just, ugh. it's like, wow, is this what unbridled male sexuality in the 80s was? Like, just saying a bunch of douchey things? Like, God, I don't know if I can handle a this. Few, a few this years ago, weird, after uh, Harathon, we had we did a special Harathon episode. Here's the deal. It, Jacob Knight made this point after, because we were talking about Silent Rage. And what I found weird about Silent Rage is, it's a gritty, 
exploitation-y movie with lots of nudity and whatever. And I just thought, how did Chuck Norris find himself in this movie? And Jacob Knight said, no, 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 no. If you actually make your way through the Chuck Norris catalog, especially throughout uh, the 80s, uh, moving into the later 80s, uh, he kind of did one trashy movie for every one yay yay america's awesome movie (laughs) until like the 90s when he kind of just decided that all the money was in the rah-rah america or martial arts movies but that a bunch of the movies he did in the 80s were actually themselves kind of gritty films that they weren't um they weren't these sort of upbeat positivity everything's going to be okay movies the way that we kind of think of him as yeah so um i don't know if that's true i haven't watched enough to say i will say that um uh, this movie is definitely in the let's try to make Chuck Norris a fun comedy guy. Like, this movie is trying to be funny. It didn't understand. The, I mean, really what this movie is, is, and I'm sure this is true of a lot of these post-Indiana Jones movies, are people who just didn't understand what Spielberg and Lucas were doing. Right. They didn't understand the tone. They didn't understand the way the humor worked. The humor in Indiana Jones is is. 90% in how they film it. It's in the cuts. Yeah. It's in visual jokes. And it's, you know, fucking uh, Harrison Ford doesn't tell that many jokes. He has some fun one-liners. He has a few, like, sharp jabs. He doesn't tell jokes with goddamn punchlines. Yeah, no. And these dudes are, like, goofy, like, like, it's literally, like, the two of them walk around being jerks goofy jerks surrounded by murderous natives that's basically yeah, no, what that's the film what is i mean there's even a scene when they're 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 kind of like trying to save the girl who's been kidnapped by an indigenous person and they're charged by a man in a headrest a headset and all that and they uh do the thing where he's running at them with like a knife and they shoot him it's direct like lift, a, direct yeah, lift. note for note lift of an indiana jones gag that is awesome so and yeah canonized so this is this is the issue is basically you've got a few things going on i think in the context it's in let's go ahead and do the the time space thing it's a cheap ripoff it's not funny no part of this movie is funny um and there's not enough of chuck i mean if you're going to put chuck norris in a movie that's supposed to be like a fun action movie get him to kick some more ass right he's not kicking a lot of ass in this no, in, in uh, the majority of the movie, the most distracting thing about his performance is how perfect his teeth are. Right. I'm like, yo, there's no way them shits is real. Right. That's some dentures. That's some denture-ass dentures in that Chuck Norris mouth of his. But yeah, that, I mean, th- there are some scenes of him doing the karate thing. He's got a lot of whirling backhands that we saw in that one movie he did with Bruce Lee. But uh, overall, there's not enough ass-kickingness in this movie. So we've got we've got the jokes aren't working. Uh, Louis Gossett Jr. is not given enough to do. He's mostly just there. He's he's literally just a step up from uh, the dude from Temple of Doom. Short round? Yeah, he's basically short round in this yeah, movie. Yeah, which, uh, which sucks because short round's a child and Louis Gossett yeah, Jr. he's like, a man. He should dude, have more to do. He should be... And the whole the worst scene of it, he's like, I just feel so good when I'm... He's, he's basically trying to describe yeah. how he's put up with Chuck Norris being an asshole all this time. And he yeah. just goes in this whole, like, codependent relationship. It's totally fucked up. Yeah, it's fucked up. And Louis Gossett Jr. does no ass-kicking at all in this movie. No. Then our no. female lead is is just annoying. 
Like <laughs> she's just like, okay, let's uh feminine feminize and personify white privilege. And here we go. We just have this young lady who's like an Ivy League scholar that's paying people to find gold. <laughs> it's certainly it's certainly it's certainly no Flash Gordon performance, which is like, you know, she. I I don't want to blame. It's not that she is bad. It's that she's not given anything to do in this. It's yeah. So there's boring. definitely a limited agency for her in this movie. Yeah, eh, I get it. She's like damsel and distressy. That's basically what she's there for. And and why why not give her? There's plenty of space in this film for her to do more, and they just don't. Because they can't figure anything out. And then, like I said, I get it. Like, definitely um, all that alone is enough for this to just be a bad movie. But then you add on to that uh, just the layers of ignorance towards the diversity and variety of indigenous (laughs) peoples here uh, in this continent made into, like, just a joke. And it's a joke joke that doesn't even really work none of it makes sense none of it connects together. yeah whatever so it's it's bad but i just wish it was fun bad like even yeah and, and, and i'll say this i'm hammering it i think i hope i'm i'm doing enough job if you're indigenous listening to this and you're like i can't believe they're covering firewalker i hope i'm doing enough of a job <laughs> to hammer it but i'll also own it i will own it so hard that if it were more fun I would be less hard on how racist it is. <laughs> a la, it is so bad. A la Temple of Doom. Like, we, when we did our Temple of Doom episode, we were very clear that that movie is a racist movie. We are also very clear that parts of it are very fun, and they're and very we, well yeah. shot, and we enjoy them. Even now that we are offended by the movie, uh, it's still, in a lot of ways, a pretty good film. This is not only racist, but also but dumb not a good and not film. fun. Yeah. At least yeah. be fun. It's At least brutal. be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Sala. What's Sala doing in there? Come on, man. No like, idea. dude, that no is idea. brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. Sala. So man. I'm with you. I When you picked this movie, I was so stoked. I had never seen it. And I just thought, like, oh, it's a, a Indiana Jones ripoff movie. That's going to be great. Like, those seem like they'd be fun, you know? Uh, I like King Solomon's Minds, or at least my memory is that I like King Solomon's Minds. Maybe I hate King Solomon's Minds. I just don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's a racist piece of trash, too. Yeah, it's very Who possible. Knows? It's very possible. But uh, I, I was stoked. I was stoked on it. And, you know, it was a, it, it felt like a long movie. Like Dude, very... it's 105 minutes long. It is so long. <laughs> and it's just like, why are you so long? It was one of those movies I was watching, and I was just like, Dude, are we still doing this? Like, why are we still watching this? God damn. I've been here for like a week. I have a beard now. It was brutal, man. It was brutal to get through. Can, for sure. Can I talk about how offensive it is that in the trivia <laughs> for this movie, it says John Ray's Davies appeared in another action comedy adventure flick about treasure hunters from the Canon Group, King Solomon's Mines. Oh my God. Is that all he appeared Sala. in? Is that all is that all he appeared in? <laughs> Is that it? Is that the only? That's weird. Is there anything else that he was in that would, uh, uh, you know, at all matter to this? No. Okay. No. No other treasure hunting uh, adventures he's been on, huh? Okay. Well, see, that's the funny. It's like the the one non-racist movie that he's actually fighting Nazis. How about that? But uh, it's funny though, because when I picked it, I was like, yo. we're going back to the glory days of when I watched King Solomon's Mines and wasn't afraid, like a big boy. At Uncle Rudy's house with Bad Michael there. And you know what, man? Yeah, it didn't get the same feeling of triumph at the end of this movie. I'm going to say it. 
I mean, I think that's fair. <laughs> Unfortunate. But hey, you know, Canon Films, man, they put out a wide smattering of movies. And the funny thing is, if you look up Canon Films, like they, they're they noted for making low to mid-budget movies, right? But uh, I feel as though the beauty of the Golden Globus era of Canon Films is that they tried, that they definitely had a cash grab in mind, but they also tried to make legit movies. And for that, I can only applaud them, despite having put out a racist movie like Firewalker and probably King Solomon's Minds, if we're being honest with each other. I mean, like, you know what, man? I'm sure I they appreciate... put out. I'm sure they put out lots of racist movies. Honestly, <laughs> like that. And 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 you're not wrong. It was the '80s. I'm just, you know, a little bit. I could put up with more than this movie. But I will say, you know, we we picked canon as a topic because it seems like such an impressive, interesting thing, and and it's one that you know I knew about before that documentary came out but i think Uh that watching that documentary sort of helped me kind of think about it a little bit more of like wow there was a lot of things that they were a part of that i actually really enjoyed and was really a part of my life you know yeah yeah for sure but hey man every so often you got to watch firewalker just to realize how 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 wide the breath is you know what i mean they can't all be winners (laughs) i guess that's the case they can't all be winners (laughs) um yeah so uh yeah i I, look as we were just saying there's a wide there's a wide 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 variety of films from (laughs) canon films especially if you like goofy action fun stuff so uh don't watch firewalker pick a different one do definitely watch runaway train yeah do runaway train and then I don't know Delta Masters Force, of the yeah, Ninja Three: The Domination. Uh, do we really want to watch Delta Force? That's the thing with all the Vietnam movies. Oh, uh, that's true. Like, yeah. yeah, you know what though? I don't know. Uh, it's a little. Uh, uh, that's a good. No, that's a fair. <laughs> that's a very fair point. I mean, you could do Life Force. I, I, I will. Yeah. I will ride for Life Force every day. Life Force is great. Life Force is an awesome movie. Yeah, so good. I gotta watch that again. I haven't seen it in a while. So hey, uh, well. Thanks for listening, y'all. Um, <laughs> suggest to us, uh, do us a favor, suggest to us which canon films we should cover the next time we do some canon movies. Because we're going to do this again, for sure. For uh, sure. Definitely this something is too fun. Do. Yeah. Too fun not to do j- more than once. Hopefully recommend something more entertaining than Firewalker, because that was bad. <laughs> Glad I picked it. <laughs> I mean, dude. How could we have known? Neither I guess if we could have read reviews before you picked it. But honestly, I'm I'm kind of glad I know now. Like, oh, that that's a bad movie. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. This is a rough get through for sure. Especially having because I watched Runaway Train first. So following oh, same, Runaway same. Train with this, it's like, yo, what the shit happened, dog? But you know, hey, here we are. Here we are. Gotta get that. Gotta get that money. I don't know if they made any money, but this movie might have bombed. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, one can hope. But hey, whatever. You know, Chuck Norris, Charles Norris. Yeah. All right. Walker, Texas Ranger. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Rate, review, subscribe. Download, download, download. Go to roughcutshirts.com. Hey, thanks for your support. Tell people about us. Uh, We really, we can only grow and thrive because our uh, listeners tell people and and that's how we're going to spread. So spread the word about who we are and what we do. Um, check out some of the other podcasts on the network. 
uh, why did she listen to Black Sun Dispatches, please? It's, that show is so good. It's so good, and and I just feel like it hasn't been discovered the way it should be. So yeah, check it I out. feel I as though it. it's just waiting it. to blow up. Yeah, it really, so it really good. needs to. So okay, uh, I guess that's it. We love you. Talk to you later. Smoke bomb.